When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to another installment of the Pro Wrestling Index right here on the AI Podcast channel, uh, where tonight, uh, myself, Andy Wales, uh, will be joined as ever by my uh, audio tag team partner, Mo Chatra, and uh, we're here to bring you up to date with the, all the things that are happening in this, the big lead up to uh, the SummerSlam weekend, which means we're going to be breaking down the NXT TakeOver card. We've got some last minute things to uh, to bring you up to speed on uh, with regards to SummerSlam, uh, the happenings on Raw and SmackDown. And a little later on, we are going to go into uh, my favourite thing, which is we're going to hit some nostalgia because uh, I like to go back over the ages and talk about some of our memories and some favorite moments so uh myself and more will be indulging in all of that uh later in the show but to start things off more um something that uh, needs to be discussed um a, a true legend one of the greatest um arguably the greatest of all time the nature boy rick flair took ill over the weekend and is in a pretty serious condition so uh, welcome along mo and can you give the listeners an update on uh, and everything that's happened and uh, just where things are with rick flair thanks andy uh, yeah so rick flair um ended up in hospital um on friday night um, his girlfriend um took him into hospital Flair was complaining of serious um, abdominal pains. And um, it turned out that actually um, there was something very serious going on with um, organ issues. Uh, we're not clear at this stage about exactly what the nature of these issues are, what the specifics are. But we do know that he had some surgery, at least one surgery um, since then. Um, Flair is still in hospital. Um, he's still uh, reported to be in a cri- critical condition. And um, as of today, as we recall this on uh, Wednesday, the 16th of August. And, um, you know, there's there were certainly concerns you know, in the last several days that, um, you know, F- Flair could go. And um, there were a lot of very, very concerned people, you know, pe- a lot of people within the business millions of fans and uh you know it's something that would devastate so many because he's had had such a profound 
impact on the lives of um, people, not only in the business, but outside, you know, long-time fans who watched him um, during his career have very, very fond memories of him. And um, certainly one of the biggest, most charismatic personalities in the history of pro wrestling. Um, really transcended the business as well. I mean, he's somebody who has fans in, you know, former presidents and various politicians, big-time sports stars, music celebrities, TV stars, you name it. Um, you know, he's got a massive following um, spanning generations. So, um, you know, fans of all types you know, have been worried about him all week. But um, he's still hanging in there. He's still a fighter. And uh, obviously, um, everyone, not only on Pro Wrestling Index, but um, all the many wrestling fans that we have, um, at Anfield Index certainly uh, wishing him all the best and hope hope that, that he makes a full uh, recovery. Um, so we've all got our fingers crossed for him. Yeah, we absolutely have. I mean, just to kind of, for those who may not be, you know, fully familiar with his career, I mean, Ric Flair is is a guy who epitomizes that that outlandish heel character. You know, the like you said, you know that the the jet flying, wheeler dealing, and all the rest of it, you know, the catchphrases. He was he was how a champion is supposed to carry himself. Because, you know, when you looked back into the eighties, the era of guys who were all sort of six foot four, six five, six six, bodybuilder physiques, he's not the tallest like that. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't have that physique. But he had he carried himself in such a way and it wasn't, and the thing was as well, though, Mo, it's that Ric Flair, the character on TV of, you know, of the suits, the the limousines, the jet planes, the the women, the champagne and everything, that the hard party. And that wasn't just Ric Flair, the, the wrestling character. That was actually Ric Flair in real life. He was He was living that lifestyle alongside his character, wasn't he? Oh, he totally lived the gimmick, and he still does. Um, you know, Ric Flair, the wrestling character, and Richard Flair, the um, individual, you know, merged into one a long, long time ago. And, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, he's had four or five marriages, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and that's why... That's um, why he transcends a business as well, though, isn't it? You know... Uh, oh yeah yeah absolutely he really I mean, does like you said you know he just people know him they know the woo and it, like you said you know, just that way he carries himself and the way he presents himself and he's talking and his passion and everything is he's such a memorable character and so many of the biggest names in in the industry over the past 20 30 years will look back on him as one of their inspirations Totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know people that have um, had nights out with Ric Flair and they'll tell you well, they've told me that, you know, it's just the most amazing thing ever having a night out with Ric Flair. And that's people that have been out with him when he's he was in his uh, 60s. So just imagine what it was like going out with Ric Flair in the prime of his career when he was in his 30s or 40s. <laughs> that would have been quite the wild time um you know he's really lived life to its fullest and uh you know for that reason that that's what endears him to so many and 
also the fact that you know he's um you know he has his flaws and he won't shy away from admitting that and um, that kind of helps people to re- relate to him even more is the fact that he isn't this um squeaky clean um character that uh, says all the right things and does all the right things you know he's done plenty in his life that um you know he probably um will tell you that you know he, he may have regretted the next day or a few weeks or a few months or years later but um you know, that that kind of life that he's led has just been um quite remarkable quite incredible and uh you know that that's why he is arguably the most legendary figure in the history of the business and when you think about all the legendary larger than life characters that have come and gone in this business and that really really is saying something um so that's why we're hoping that you know he still hangs in there because um you know even though he's 68 years of age um rick flair um you know on a night out is, is something to experience and i'm hoping that somehow some way um that still is something i can experience if only for one night um because that that would just be amazing but um rick flair is he's a legend and um hopefully he'll be around uh, a while yet yeah i i think uh, just to finish off i think scott hall said it best in a tweet the other day uh when he offered his prayers for rick flair and said kick out on two and a half like you always did so uh, yeah we hope hopefully uh there will soon be some uh some good news on on rick flair and his health issues uh but to change things up a gear uh, this weekend, obviously, it's not just SummerSlam, and that obviously that does dominate our thoughts. But this Saturday, we, it's the it's the the entire WWE operation in New York, and they're in Brooklyn, and it's so it's uh, the NXT Takeover event. So it's NXT Takeover Brooklyn three. Um, I've got to say, Mo doesn't feel quite the event that it did even last year, but certainly the first takeover Brooklyn. Well, yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the lineup, it's certainly on paper, not as exciting as some of the lineups that we've had in previous years. When we looked at them and we thought, Oh my God, you know, every single match could be um, amazing. Every single match could potentially be match of the night. Uh, you look at this lineup and it doesn't quite, um, fill you with the same level of excitement um, as a previous couple have. Um, all of that said, though, um, I have been encouraged by NXT's weekly show from the last several months since the last takeover event back in May. And um, I think that certainly the match quality, if, if not anything else, has been um, the best of any of the WWE weekly TV shows. It has been... Um, of a pretty high standard. So that gives me some encouragement that even if the matches on paper don't really compare to some of the NXT takeovers past, um, the, the form that has been displayed by a lot of the people that are on the show, um, tells me that it, it might not be quite as bad as we're fearing. Yeah. I mean, it, that's it on paper. It's, it's not as exciting as it was, but again, it is quite a transitional period that NXT are having to go through having lost so many of the major stars of that promotion moving up onto the main roster after all the changes that have and happened there and the kind of the reshaping of, of programming. 
Um, the last takeover event, I mean, we had one of the most dramatic uh, finales with with the breakup of uh, Gagano and Ciampa and that attack. I mean, it, it was done beautifully. It, it really was the way that they teased the audience. And then you thought, no, actually, maybe it's not happening. Everything's OK. As it looked like they're going off the air, he turns on him. Uh, just done fantastically well. And obviously with Tommaso Ciampa still on the sidelines injured, Gargano, I think they've handled it quite nicely in that Gargano has only recently come back. So they've kept that one, you know, they've, I think that was quite smart of them to do that, that playing up to that whole injury thing. Kept him off TV. He's come back in now. We're going to see Gargano against Andrade Almas, who's um, starting to get, gather it a little bit of momentum over the past few weeks. So although there's not too much in this storyline wise more, I, I do suspect this could be uh, a cracking match. Yeah, no, I think it will be, um, you know, Amas on his day, um, can have a very good match. I mean, he has had, um, a couple of pretty encouraging performances on takeover events, but, um, he hasn't really fulfilled his potential since he came in from um, Mexico. He's not really um, lived up to the billing that he had when he was La Sombra in, um, I think it was CMLL. Um, you know, it's a real shame that Gargano and um, Champa couldn't have their big match here at this takeover event. Clearly, that was the plan um, after their split up uh, back in May. Um, so, obviously... Champ is not going to be around for at least another six or seven months. He suffered that ACL injury. So um, that will have to wait probably until the takeover event um, prior to WrestleMania. And um, they'll probably have that big match then. Uh, but in the meantime, um, Gargano and Almas um, have got this match at the uh, upcoming takeover. And I think it will be um, a pretty good match. Um, Gargano is a heck of a worker. He's already shown that here in NXT, um, Almas to a lesser extent, but certainly with the right opponent, he can have a very good match as well. Um, this could very well be the opener for the show as well. So in that regard, um, I, I think they'll get the show off to, to, to a hot start. Now, now the next match I am looking forward to because more Alistair Black versus Hideo Itami storyline wise, again, <laughs> a bit of a, a, a road, you know, recurring theme here. The storyline wise is there's not an awful lot in this, but purely as a, as a wrestling match, I am really, really looking forward to this one because I've been so impressed with Alistair Black coming into NXT. I think he just has an aura of something about him. The, the crowds are really connecting with him, his entrance, his persona, uh, just little things that he does. And the physical nature of his matches, I think he's just really connected with the fans and, and him and Itami, uh, this for me has the makings of match of the night. Oh, it very well could be. Absolutely. I mean, Itami, um, something I've been very disappointed with. Um, he was one of the top 10 workers in the noughties. Now going back to about 2005, he was arguably top five, top six in the entire business. Um, injuries have taken their toll there's no doubt about that but he's still on his day a very very good worker Alistair Black um, 
has been tearing up on the indies and promotions like Progress, um, PWG, I think he wrestled in as well, um, all around Europe. And, um, you know, he, he has this aura about him, doesn't he? He's got this um, um, good fusion type style to him, you know, a bit of strong style, a bit of mixed martial arts. Um, and um, comes across like um, a badass. And uh, it's you know, a serene. Guys... Yeah, it's, it's that badass, you know, the, the hard hitting, but it's mixed in with the sereneness as though he just completely zones out and he's so calm. <laughs> In, in you know in charge of everything i think there's something about that that just seems to really really connect with the audience and it's again it's it's different it's unique it helps him to stand out oh it does yeah absolutely and um you know, an element of that is um you know the real life side of of that individual you know he he's like that in real life he's uh you know certainly not somebody who likes to conform to the norm um, by any stretch of the imagination, he's um, prides himself on being a very unique individual, and um, he manages to um, convey that in the ring as well. I mean, his character and um, the way he works as well. Um, so that's why I'm really excited about this because I think these two will really bring the best out of each other in this environment, and uh, you know, it will um, certainly be quite different by wwe standards very very hard hitting they're not going to hold much back quite a japanese style match in fact is what i'm anticipating that's why i'm really looking forward to it um but i, I would suspect that alistair black will be the one that will merge victorious from this because i think they could go all the way with this guy um he has clearly got something special um itami i've been a fan of forever but um you know he's he's approaching his 40s now He's not the worker he was. Um, I just don't see the point in putting him over Alistair Black. Alistair Black is the one whose star is rising. So let that star continue to rise. And let him get a big win over Itami on this show. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, the next one up is the first of the title matches. It's the Tag Team Championships. The Authors of Pain who I feel have really uh, come along. Uh, they've developed a lot. They're, they're improving their ring-ring work. Uh, they're defending against Sanity, members uh, Killian Dane and Alexander Wolfe. Um, slightly odd dynamic to this in that both teams have consistently been presented as heels. So it's the, the, the way that it's been kind of built up on television almost um, suggests that it's authors of pain who may be moving in towards being turned babyface for this. So I, I've got to say more. I think it'll be decent. I'm not, I'm, my expectations are not exceedingly high and I'm also not expecting a title change. Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting a title change. Um, this past week on raw with, uh, the cruiserweight championship. Um, but um, it happened, but we'll come on to that. So that's why I'm, I'm thinking that because we're not expecting um, the authors of pain to drop the belts, I'm actually going to go for a win for um, Sanity. And uh, I, I think that um, there is that potential there for um, title change. Uh, you know, 
the tag team division certainly isn't what it was. Um, if you go back a couple of years, the NXT tag team division was absolutely superb. You had, you know, about five or six different really, really strong teams, um, you know, topped off by another two or three teams. So it was a deep roster full of really good workers and it clearly isn't at that level anymore. Um, and that's not to say that it can't get back to what it was, but it certainly is mentioned earlier going through that transitional period. Um, the horses of pain have held the belts now for um, a number of months. And, um, you know, if they walk away at this as the champions, then um, you know, they've, they've got others that they can defend the belts against. But none of the other tag teams quite have that kind of standing at this moment in time that would allow fans to treat them as credible challenges to the authors of pain. Um, so that's why I think that they'll look to mix things up and keep this feud going for a little while longer yet. So therefore I do expect there to be a title change. Um, and uh, as for the match itself, I think it will be a pretty good match. Um, as you say, the authors of pain have um, certainly improved um, over the course of the last nine months um, certainly benefited from working with um, DIY um, late last year in, in the earlier months of this year. And um, you know, someone like Killian Dane is one of the best um, super heavyweights in the business. And um, I think that he will really uh, look the business in this match and uh, show exactly what he's capable of. Um, but as far as the match itself, I predict a title change. Mm, uh, that's actually sound reasoning so uh, you know what now you say it, I, I think that could very well happen it would certainly be interesting anyway uh, the women's championship Asuka defending against Ember Moon all I've got to say all I've got to ask more I should say really is has the time come it, is this the time where they finally pull the trigger and, and Asuka finally loses well we've um had this conversation for the last two or three um, takeover previews, haven't we? Um, and each time, you know, the feeling was, well, perhaps it is time now for Asuka to drop the belt. Um, I, I think it is. Um, but whether Ember Moon is the right opponent to drop the belt to, I'm less convinced. Um, you know, we, we've seen Asuka in a couple of recent matches, in, in recent weeks rather, against Nikki Cross and I thought Nikki Cross came across superbly well. Um, you know, was Asuka's best opponent since um, Asuka lost the likes of Bailey and um, Sasha Banks and others all to the main roster um, last year. So Ember Moon is a decent talent, um, but I would actually like Nikki Cross to win the belt. Um, but clearly she's not in this match. So I'm hoping, therefore, that Asuka retains a title and then perhaps holds on to the title till the takeover prior to Survivor Series and then has a match against Nikki Cross and Nikki Cross wins a bit at that point in time. Um, but the WWE might have decided, well, actually, um, now's the time for Asuka to finally go up to the main roster. And, you know... Looking at the SmackDown women's division, um, you can certainly make a very strong persuasive case for Asuka slotting in right into that division because it's crying out for somebody like that, isn't it? Um, it's um, it's really struggling, even with Charlotte on board. So um, 
you know, if, if they've decided that it's now the time to bring her up, um, then clearly Ember Moon has to win the belt. If they haven't, then I think Asuka will retain. Um, but if you were to ask me which way will, will it go, I, I think Asuka retains. Yeah, I, I do suspect the, the same, that it will be Asuka retaining, that they're not going to move her yet. That would be my suspicion, that they're just going to hold it off that little bit longer, the kind of teasers that they're getting closer. Like Ember Moon, she's just getting that bit closer and closer to defeating her. And I think they're going to kind of play that up as a storyline, which does, you know, logic logic sense that, that it certainly does work. And But, you know, like you said, that SmackDown women's division uh, could desperately do with Asuka right now, but um, my feeling is that they will wait a little bit longer before they uh, before they do make that switch. So that just leaves us with um, with the main NXT Championship, Bobby Roode defending against Drew McIntyre. Um, I'm quite looking forward to this one. I I know it's not really again. There's not been a lot of excitement in the build up. But I'm impressed with uh, how much better Drew McIntyre looks this time around in WWE. For me, more he looks like his time away on the Indies has really served him well. He looks a lot more confident. He looks meaner, fitter. He's kind of honed his style. Um, oh yeah, he's um, somebody who had a, an unfortunate time in his first run with the WWE. He was clearly brought it brought in with um, big plans you know he was almost presented as Vince McMahon's chosen one wasn't he um, and it didn't really pan out for him at that time and my feeling was was that perhaps it was a little bit too early for him he wasn't quite ready um, beyond having clearly size um, being a decent worker um, in other respects he was somewhat lacking um, but he certainly learned from his WWE experience, uh, perhaps not from um, three-man band gimmick, but um, some of the other stuff he did, um, he would have certainly learned from. Uh, went into the Indies, um, on the Indies, um, was presented as a bigger deal and um, certainly came across like a big deal, like a, a true bona fide superstar. Um, then did some work with TNA, um, that also benefited him as well um, by working on a slightly bigger stage than some of the indies he was working in. Um, and um, he's come back to the WWE um, on NXT, coming across like a more rounded individual. Um, his promos are generally stronger, carries himself like a star. Um, his in-ring work has improved. Um, so he, he's, he's very good, but um, as you point out, um, certainly not had a very compelling build to this storyline. Um, and that, that's, as you say, been a common theme on NXT. Clearly, the approach has been to um, emphasise the in-ring product above um, storytelling um, from a angles and promos point of view. So um, there's clearly been a shift. And that, that perhaps has been for the best as well, because... There are a number of individuals on the NXT roster at the moment that are certainly a lot stronger in the ring than they are um, outside of matches. You know, Roderick Strong is, is a good example of that. Um, Kyle O'Reilly, who's recently started, who has been fantastic um, in Ring of Honor in New Japan the last several years. Um, also one who 
is a lot better in matches than he is in terms of delivering promos or um, any kind of storyline angles. Um, as for the match itself, I think there will be a title change. Um, you know, Bobby, Bobby Roode um, has come in as, um, with, with obviously that, that great entrance, uh, and I'm sure he'll have a great entrance lined up for the weekend. But beyond that, um, hasn't really blown me away. Um, and that's not a surprise. I mean, the work he did in NX, uh, sorry, in TNA um, didn't blow me away either. Um, he's, he's just a very, very sound, solid worker, but he's not exceptional. Um, his promos are not exceptional. Nothing about him really is. Um, he's just a very steady hand. And, um, you know, he's had that belt now for a number of months. And I feel the time is right to just switch things up, change things a little and move in a slightly different direction. Um, I think they can do a lot with um, Drew as the new champion. And um, there's various opponents that they can um, certainly pair him with and they can do some you know, really good stuff. Um, Cassius Ono is somebody that immediately comes to mind. Again, another person that's had an amazing run in the last couple of years on the independence, yet really hasn't shown enough of that in NXT because he's not been presented in a way to really show off exactly what he's capable of. Whereas with Drew, um, I think you know he, he'd get that chance, you know, battling for that NXT championship. So. My hope is and my expectation is that we see a title change and Drew McIntyre will become the new champion. Mm, it's, I think it is a, certainly a possibility and you do certainly make a sound argument as to why it could and should happen. My suspicion is that we'll get, that we won't get a clean finish here, that something something's going to happen because the way that they've uh, kept um, Roderick Strong involved in and around uh, Bobby Roode and everything that's going on that I do wonder if they're, they're going to look to build towards some kind of a three-way beyond this uh, and perhaps even putting a belt on uh, Roderick Strong. So if I'm going to go for Roode to retain, but I don't think we're going to get a clean finish to this one. Well, that's that's entirely possible as well. Um you know, it's um, it's not something that we normally get with NXT um, takeovers. It's kind of non-conclusive finishes, but um, no, it's certainly possible that um, there's something that um, happens during the match which um, creates a bit of controversy, which they can then use to build towards the next takeover to take place um, prior to the Survivor Series. So... Uh, we, we shall wait and see. But, um, yeah, but top to bottom, having reviewed it, I, I do think it will be a, a good show. Not quite at the level of NXTs, the best NXTs of the past, but certainly um, far from a stinker. I, I think there's um, too much quality across the, across the card for it to be a, a poor show. I, I think it will certainly be a, a worthwhile two and a half hours um, to watch that if you've got the time to do so. Yeah, I think for um, you know, for for a hardcore wrestling fan, I think it'll be an enjoyable show to watch. And but like you say, yeah, not on a par with previous years, but 
I do feel NXT is um, in this transition is is slowly moving on the up. So um, let, let's hope it is an enjoyable one and look forward to discussing it uh, next week. Right, before we move on to nostalgia, uh, last week more we we previewed the whole um, SummerSlam card, obviously, as it stood then. Uh, we speculated on the Raw Tag Team Championships and wondered if perhaps we would see uh, some kind of a four-way match that in, in order to get the Hardys on, on the card in some capacity. But what we what we had instead was um, something that we we obviously expected, and and you could see that it was coming. A reunification of two thirds of the Shield, uh, Rollins and Ambrose. They, I, I think they did a pretty good job of of teasing it and, and building it up, and teasing it and building it up, and um, making you think it wasn't going to happen before they actually finally got around to doing it. That Ambrose and Rollins are on the same card, are on the same page. Sorry, and that's it. We've now got. Um, Rollins uh, and Ambrose versus uh, Sheamus and Cesaro for the the Raw Tag Team Championships. That's right, and um, you know when I was um, speculating about what could happen in the match, obviously I predicted it would be a four way match, and clearly that's not going to happen. But I, I think, I mean, a week's a long time, um, but I'm pretty sure I did predict um, Ambrose and Rollins would win the belts, and um, so obviously that. Um, it's still a possibility and I, I do think that will happen. Um, I think it would be good for them to um, have a run with the belts um, and then do the split, which is inevitable, and then have um, one of the two go go heel on, on the other. Um, and the reason I say that is because I've been talking, and you have as well, uh, for a while now, that Ambrose should go heel. Um, but Rollins as a baby face hasn't really worked out for me either. And, um, you know, it'll pre- this feud between the two, when it does eventually happen, will present the WWE an opportunity to, um, you know, turn either heel. Um, so Ambrose, Ambrose could then go through a much needed um, character revamp by turning heel, whereas Rollins could arguably get back on track, go back to what he was um, prior to his knee injury when he was possibly the best all-round worker in the business um so that that's why i think that they'll go with that um you know there is that other possibility that you speculated on which is that um one of them turns on the other during this match um, but i just feel that they won't do that just yet I, I think they will put the belts on them first and then build towards a turn later on down the line um some yeah, new I- champions for that for, for me I still stick to that. Yeah, I I do think that's the the most likely outcome uh, as things stand. And and I, you know I I think the crowd will really go for it, and it'll be one of them enjoyable moments. It'll get a great pop as it did when them two you know put their fists together in the middle of the ring. You know it was such a simple thing, but you know it's classic wrestling the way that they played it out and eked every moment out of the crowd for it. So. Yeah, I think it's it's one of them things that's just going to add a little something to the card. What about SmackDown then? <laughs> because I I predicted that we could see Baron Corbin cash in his money in the bank briefcase uh, and surprise us all. Um, but that's not going to happen now, more is it? Clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a second one. I mean, one. that was 
five minutes of a life discussion about um, Corbyn cashing in that we'll never get back now um, from last week. But um, yeah, that was a very bizarre thing. Um, I found it very strange why they mm. decided to do that out of the blue. Um, if, they, if they wanted to do that, if they wanted him to try and unsuccessfully cash it in, um, I think it would have been a lot more fun trying to do that um, at um, SummerSlam. Because even if he had lost earlier in the show to John Cena, um, they could have still had him come out with his briefcase and try um, cash it in unsuccessfully. Um, but they decided to do it on TV. Um, some have speculated that he's in the doghouse, that he's pissed the wrong people off. That's entirely possible. Well, I was well, going to ask you more. Have you heard anything on this? Because, like you just mentioned there, you know, it has been speculated that uh, it, it's got to be very, very recent that he's really uh, lost all faith. You, you know, people above have lost faith in him. Um, whatever, you know, that they thought was there to put the briefcase on him, to take it off him in such a way, really humiliating, really, uh, on the go-home show, that, that's, that's quite a turnaround, isn't it? It is, yeah, that's right. Um, because, as you know, as most listeners know, most times, almost nine times out of ten, when you get that money in the brief, uh, sorry, money in the bank briefcase, um, that normally results in you winning a title. Um, so it's very, very rare to win that briefcase and not end up with a title belt. Um, so for that not to happen, um, is going to be seriously disappointing for him because after being put, put over for the money in the bank uh, briefcase a couple of months back, he certainly would have been expecting um, to win that world title and to have a run with it. And um, the fact he won't get that now, well, certainly as a result of um, missing out on that opportunity on SmackDown this week, um, would suggest that, you know, all is not well. Uh, I do know that um, he has people that don't like him. Um, he's got this aloof personality that's very clear. And um, uh, for some people, that won't really bother them. Um, for others, it will be a big deal. They'll see it as a sign of ris- disrespect. And in the pro wrestling business, um, there are all types of um, conventions, such as having to shake everyone's hands and all of this kind of nonsense. And, um, you know, if, if you're seen as not adhering to these conventions, then, um, you know, people you know, view you in a unfavorable way. So it wouldn't be a, any surprise to me um for, for that to have happened um i don't know that for a fact at this stage but i'm sure i'll find out um like everyone else um you know in the next couple of days but um yeah it's certainly not great for him and uh would suggest that uh a title run isn't likely um anytime soon but um we, we've seen it before though where people end up in the doghouse and um, clearly piss off the wrong people uh, for them to still come back. We've seen it with even likes of Triple H. You know, he did that famous click curtain call, Madison Square Garden, May 1996. And yet, um, you know, he, he, whilst he was punished for that, uh, that didn't last long. And uh, 
he um, got back on track and became a WWF main eventer um, within a couple of years after that. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I I very much uh, doubt that uh, Baron Corbin will head the same direction <laughs> as Triple H, but uh, <laughs> that's for another day. Um, <clears throat> one final thing then before we start to uh, enjoy a bit of nostalgia. Uh, and you alluded it to uh, you alluded to it earlier, I should say, uh, is the cruiserweight championship. Now this was bizarre. I- I've got to say, um, never losing the cruiserweight championship on Raw to Akira Tozawa. Um, a very strange move. More uh, is there anything to look into this, or is it just one of those? decisions that WWE sometimes decide to make. Yeah, it was, it was very strange. Um, I can't really figure out why, why they did that. Um, other than, um, you know, possibly the decision to just have a title change on the show, um, at SummerSlam this weekend, because they're not planning to have many title changes. So they thought, well, OK, we, we can't go a show with perhaps only one title change when we've got seven or eight different titles on the line. So, um, OK, let's change the title and then we can have never win it back. And then that's that's um, another title change. Um, so that that might be one reason. But I'm really clutching at straws here. It didn't really make much sense to me. Um, it certainly wasn't done to pop a rating. Um, I'm not aware of Neville being in anyone's bad books, unlike um, Baron Corbin. Um, Neville's generally well-liked. He's a very good pro and conducts himself in the right way. Um, No news of any injuries or anything like that? No, no, there isn't. Um, I mean, these two are obviously still competing against each other at um, uh, SummerSlam, obviously with Cesaro as a champion now. Um, So... No, it was just a bizarre, strange, out of the blue kind of occurrence. But, um, I mean, it can, can be as silly as, I don't know, maybe Neville tweeted something or put something on Instagram that somebody in the company didn't like and thought, OK, we'll show him. And, and uh, as petty as that sounds, this is what this is what actually happens. People's pushes are ended. People's title reigns are ended because... Somebody has looked at somebody the wrong way. They forgot to shake someone's hand when they were supposed to have shaken the hand. They posted something on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook that people didn't like. All kinds of the most unbelievably petty things that um, result in um, career-changing decisions. So, um, you know, who who knows? Uh, Again, I'm sure I'll find out in the next couple of days. But, um, yeah, it, it was certainly a strange one. Yeah, I, I, I suppose the most obvious one is what you mentioned that they just they want to make sure there's a, an extra title change on the main card, so they just quick switch around. And as the old cliche goes, you know, you, you never know what might happen in the WWE. <laughs> so there you go. Oh. Right, right then, nostalgia time. Uh, Mo, you'll obviously know this. Uh, this is the 30th SummerSlam. So the first one was uh, way back in 1988. Um, I believe Madison Square Garden 
I believe. I can actually double check that. I believe it was Madison Square yes, Garden. Was. Yeah, MSG. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, just how it's come along, and really, I suppose you know, for us long-term fans, it, it was you go back to them times that you know around the end of the eighties, the early nineties, back when there only used to be the four pay-per-views a year. You know, this this SummerSlam, this was the you know, you know the first main, um, first pay-per-view event you would have after. Uh, WrestleMania, you know, and and there's a good few months gap, so this really was a big event, wasn't it? Oh, it was huge, absolutely. Um, you know, for those old enough to remember, um, people would be wait anticipating this show for weeks, if not months, because um, the build to the show would start um, very, very soon after WrestleMania. Um, if you think back to um, Let's see, SummerSlam 1990, for example, headlined by Earthquake against Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Um, they did that famous angle where um, Hogan was put out of commission, um, I think a week or two after WrestleMania 6. Um, and Hogan was supposed to be in hospital and they were encouraging people to write letters of support and encouragement to Hogan. Um, and that was done in April to lead to a match in August. And, um, you know, that, that's the kind of length of bill that ha- they had at that time. And um, some of the other matches on that card uh, were also being set up, um, you know, if not April, and certainly May, June time. Um, so weeks, if not months in advance. And um, so there's a huge long build-up and uh, lead-up into SummerSlam. And that's why it was always a very anticipated show. Then we had King of the Ring come along in 1993, um, which created a bit of a break. Uh, well, split that kind of long break between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. Um, and therefore, the build to SummerSlam, as a result, uh, became shorter. And then eventually we moved to monthly pay-per-views, firstly with In Your House pay-per-views in the mid-90s, and then um, our other kind of specific um, monthly pay-per-views. Um, and so the build to SummerSlam became shorter and shorter. Um, but despite that, it's, it's still the second biggest card of the year. Um, and it's still, um, for WWE fans, one of the most um, anticipated events. And so um, this year is no different. But yeah, I mean, 1988 is um, the very, very first one. Um I was a WWF fan at the time purely because WWF was airing on ITV on Saturday afternoons um, starting in January 87, which was the first time I watched WWF. But in 88, I wasn't aware of SummerSlam. It was only when um, WWF um, started to become um, popular on the new Sky um, satellite system um, that um, these shows were then being broadcast live or on tape delay and um, people for the first time in the UK um, from 1989 had access to these events. Yeah. Just one notable thing that actually happened on that uh, first ever SummerSlam. That was where we had the ultimate warrior first become intercontinental champion and end the, (laughs) I, I believe it's still a record. The, the, the long, long reign of the honky tonk man as, Intercontinental Champion, where he had the the open challenge, 
and, and out comes the ultimate warrior and beats him in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that was, yeah, that, that is still the longest title reign in the history of the Intercontinental Championship. Um, but that was um, probably quite embarrassing for Honky Tonk that he was losing the title in 30 seconds to um, this green kid who'd um, started out in Fritz von Erich's world-class championship wrestling as this um, steroid freak um, in The Ultimate Warrior. Um, so, um, you know, that certainly wouldn't have gone down well with Honky Tonk, who, by, who at that point in time was, um, you know, the far bigger star, but The Warrior just became an overnight sensation, um, you know, shortly after um, coming into the WWF and um, you know, the uh, title win over Honky Tonk at SummerSlam 88 really... Um, propelled him into, you know, the upper echelons of the pecking order in the WWF at the time um, that, you know, helped to lead towards that big title run and the ultimate challenge um, just over 18 months later at WrestleMania six with Hulk Hogan. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was certainly huge for the warrior in his career. It certainly was. Uh, have you got any favorite summer slams then more because I, I mean an obvious one for me is is 1992 when it was at the the old Wembley Stadium oh yeah I mean that was certainly um, a very memorable one so, some that was an event that um, I, I was clearly um, very distraught about not being able to attend um, I was actually around well, I was a teenager at the time so um, I was old enough to go but um finances and all the rest of it meant I couldn't go. So um, I had to watch um, on tape. Um, I didn't even have Sky at that time. So I had to wait for a friend to um, borrow me the uh, VHS tape of the show um, a few days afterwards and uh, watch the show and thought it was just an amazing event. Um, but my, my favourite, res- sorry, my favourite SummerSlam rather um, is still... Um, the SummerSlam 90 and that, that's purely nostalgic reasons it was the first SummerSlam that I um, watched um, you know I then went back to watch 89 and 88 afterwards um, but um, SummerSlam 90 was the one that um, everyone at school was really really buzzing about and looking forward to um, in the weeks and indeed months leading up to the show and then straight after it, the next day, I, I, I kid you not, all the kids in the playground were talking about it. So those that were lucky enough to own or have Sky in their homes, um, they all, um, you know, recorded it and watched it before they came into school. And um, they were then telling the likes of us who didn't have Sky everything that went down, including the debut of this guy called texas tornado and he beat mr perfect in five minutes and yeah all all of that kind of stuff and the demolition um losing the tag team titles and uh yeah well that was the heart foundation yeah that's that's still to this day it is one of my favorite ever matches and it's got a little sequence in it that, that i still absolutely adore with it was just for me, just shows how smooth and how good Bret Hart was. The way that he just transitions, you know, uh, an arm drag into uh, an elbow lock, and it was just how how he how 
good he is, uh, how smooth he was, and uh, I, I just, I just, still to this day, just marvel watching uh, Bret Hart executing moves and taking moves as well. Uh, I loved his style, but that two out of three falls match where we saw the Legion of Doom uh, show up, it, it was. As a fan, then it, it was just fantastic, and and actually more somewhere in the deepest, darkest realms of my loft somewhere, I've got still got the VHS copy of this one. <laughs> Goodness, um, yeah, no, it was um, a very very memorable show. I mean, it, was it the greatest WrestleMania ever from a match quality perspective? No, it wasn't. Um, there have been several rest, uh, sorry Summer Slams keep saying wrestlemania um several summer slams that match quality wise were better but um in terms of my memories about the show and um, not just about the event but about everything that led into it and friends and childhood um you know it's got a special place as that show so that's why i remember that event more fondly than any of the others um so that's the one for me yeah. What about matches then? Any particular matches or or moments throughout uh, various Summer Slams over the years that kind of stick out for you? Well, before we go on to that, um, you, you mentioned Summer Slam '92. So, what what was it about that show that made it the most special one for you then? It was at Wembley Stadium. It was almost like the the because at that time, you you mentioned the delay. I think everything was something like about two, maybe three weeks behind. And you were aware that you're watching every week, watching superstars or wrestling challenge. You're aware, even though it was on sky that you were a few weeks behind and then they show the pay-per-views and, and, you know, and I I don't know. It was obviously they, they caught themselves up and it was just that it was all in America and it's all seemed so far away and it sounded fantastic. And it was this other kind of this other life and this other happening. And then they gave this nod as though they they realised that we were all here in the UK watching this, and you know, and all fans, and then they there they were at Wembley Stadium, you know, and I'm a football fan, but you know, th- this other thing that I liked suddenly kind of crossed over into this other world that I liked, and it was just, I think the age that I was at at the time, it was just fantastic to to take everything in like that and it was uh it, it was a it was a cracking event as well I, and i think the way they booked it was was very very smart yeah it was it was almost surreal um obviously wembley stadium as liverpool fans of both of us um held a special place for us is a venue that um brought us great memories of watching liverpool in the 80s um so to see that same venue then host the WWF um, in front of 80,000, um, which was genuinely the biggest WWF, WWE crowd all the way until um, the uh, WrestleMania that took place in Dallas um, last year, believe it or not. So that was an amazing crowd that attended that event. And, and that was all off of um, coverage that at that time was only on Sky, and Sky at that time wasn't in many, many millions of homes. I mean, at that point in time, um, it might have been on in less than a million homes. Um, so the ratings that 
you know, your raw and sorry, um, wrestling challenges, primetime wrestling, superstars of wrestling would have been doing, um, relatively speaking, would have been very good, but still, you know, probably not even um, bigger than the audience that attended SummerSlam. So it showed that even though it's um, audience on Sky, just because its reach wasn't that great and widespread, uh, wasn't huge. Uh, its wider interest beyond people that had Sky was enormous. And I was just one of the many, many people who um, was a WWF fan, um, but had to watch from afar in a way um, through friends. And um, that was almost um, a testament to the kind of word of mouth type of um, success that the WWF enjoyed at that point in time, where it didn't have mainstream coverage. It didn't have um it shows um airing on primetime network television on itv or channel four it was all on this um relatively new technology at that time um so that made it all the more impressive that they were able to attract eighty thousand people to wembley stadium yeah it, it was it was a defining moment really when you think you know and a, i guess a bit of a gamble but a successful one and, and perhaps open their eyes to just how huge their product was in Europe and, and has gone on to be, you know, they, they, you know, the, the performance, the, the wrestlers talk about how much they love coming to Europe and, and going around Spain, Germany, France, Italy, you know, all over Europe. They absolutely adores, not just the UK, they're huge. Uh, and, and I think they, you know, that they really, really do appreciate that that love that they get. And and then you see them obviously now they branch out and they go into Asia and they go down to uh, to Australia and they're into Africa. They're all over the world, and it's um, it, it kind of feels as though like SummerSlam '92 at Wembley Stadium was was almost like a watershed moment where that was it. That was the first step to to the WWF really truly becoming this massive global brand oh yeah yeah um, i mean their first wwf live events in the uk took place three years earlier in 1989 and um they ran wembley arena that year i think well they yes nec was another and possibly one other um but um it was SummerSlam in 92 that um really showed the kind of global expansion that was starting to kick in. And obviously now it's um, an international monster and it's got um, coverage all around the world in hundreds of, well, not hundreds, but um, many, many dozens of countries. And um, we see that by the zillion different commentary teams that they have on pay-per-views. I mean, half of that show, half of those shows now are taken up just by introducing all the commentary teams. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it showed, it demonstrated to Vince and, you know, the people in the WWF that you know, this certainly had um, the capability of going worldwide. And the UK was the first country that, it, obviously outside of Canada, that it really... Um, established a really strong position in and um from there it was able to branch out um, across europe and from that it gave them the confidence to 
go further afield into um, Asia and South America and elsewhere. And now, you know, it's it's um, a very common thing for them to um, take in countries all around the world every single year. And, um, you know, they are, as I say, um, on TV in, you know, at least 150 different countries as well. It, it really is um, an international juggernaut now. Yeah. And that 92 event ended with the British Bulldog, David Boy Smith, pinning Brett the Hitman Hart to win the Intercontinental title. So there you go. SummerSlam 92 ended. The main event was over the Intercontinental Championship. So, you know, there you go. Good smart mm. booking. And that's how you can do it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was that was a terrific match. It was, it was a great atmosphere. It was well built and everything like that. But is there any other matches that, that kind of stand out for you over the years then from SummerSlam's gone by? Well, I think that um, in recent years, we've had some exceptional matches. Um, and we had uh, John Cena and um, who was it? Was it Seth Rollins um, or um, AJ Styles, perhaps? I think it was. Um, you know, we've had Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. Um, but um, the one that I still think is the best SummerSlam match ever is Brett against Owen from SummerSlam 94, the cage match. Unbelievable. Absolutely incredible match. Um, their match, um, I think it was that same year at WrestleMania 10, was incredible in its own right. Um, but the cage match was every bit as good, if not slightly better. Um, it really was, um, in, in many ways, almost the perfect match for those two. Um, given the storyline that they had going on between each other, um, so so that, so that that was just um, Brett Brett at his best. It was um, exceptional storytelling and um, one of the all-time great legendary WWF matches. Well, you talk about Owen Hart there. I mean that that kind of leads me on to one of my moments. And bizarrely, it was. <laughs> It won't be remembered. It's never remembered for the match quality because, for me, the match quality was was superb. But what it'll always be remembered for it was the ending, uh, and that was from SummerSlam '97, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Owen Hart. Uh, and obviously, that's where Owen Hart does the inverted. Um, I forget the move off the top of my head. I've had a brain fart. Uh, that's where he drops him on his neck. Obviously, that's the first oh, of the, the neck injuries. Pile driver. Yes, that's, that's it. Sorry, the inverted pile driver. Yeah, that's the that's the start of the neck issues for Stone Cold Steve Austin, and everyone remembers, you know, the hawky roll up and everything else. But what be- went before that was a superb match. They were having a great, great match, and obviously, people remember the finish. But you know, for all the year before, you know, the the um the King of the Ring and the birth of 316 and everything, the outcome of that match because of the injury and the fact that Stone Cold then couldn't be competing in the ring meant he had to stay relevant and it was on the microphone that he stayed relevant. In some ways for me, this really was the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the megastar, because of this match. Yeah, it was um, what um, was really starting to... uh help him turn that corner and uh it was only a few weeks later 
um, albeit with a um, severely damaged neck, that uh, he had that um, famous angle in Madison Square Garden where he stunned Vince McMahon. And that was at a point when Vince never really got involved in anything physical. Um, so that's why it was such a shocking um, event that um, you know, Vince would get, well, would be at the receiving end of a Stone Cold Stunner by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, and obviously, um, prior to the uh, SummerSlam show, there was Canadian Stampede where um, you know, Austin was just on fire. But um, SummerSlam um, 97, um, that kind of injury was a pivotal moment in his career. And it's the kind of event that, you know, a millimetre or two either way, and uh, that could have been the end of his career full stop. Um, so he's very, very lucky um, to just escape with just a simple neck injury uh, rather than anything more serious than that. Um, but, um, you know, he capitalised on it and he made the most of it. He knew it was on borrowed time, though. Um, as soon as he received that neck injury, he had to work in a much more careful way. Um, he, he, he worked a more of a brawling style. Um, the kind of style he worked... Um, certainly in WCW as Stunning Steve um, and in ECW as well, um, that had to go and it had to be replaced by this kind of brawling type of style, which, if anything, suited his character more. Um, the Stone Cold character and that kind of style, that in-ring style that he became synonymous with, it, they just went together perfectly. Um, so whilst um, after that point in time, he only had another what, five, six years of his career left. Whereas, you know, ideally with that, that neck injury, you know, he could have worked till possibly even till today. Um, you know, obviously he's in his fifties now, but um, there's no reason why he couldn't have still, even as a part-time have been going up until 2017. But mm. uh, yeah, that, that was certainly um, quite a famous moment um, from SummerSlam for sure. Yeah, another one I've got for you, Mo, is the TLC. Obviously, people remember, you know, the early TLCs, as in those moments at WrestleMania where we had, you know, the iconic view of of Edge uh, spearing Jeff Hardy, and and everyone's blown away by that. But the actually the first TLC match was at uh, SummerSlam in uh, two thousand. That's right. Yeah. Um, so the WrestleMania one, the very famous WrestleMania one, um, was what um, TLC two, I think it was. It was uh, indeed. But, yeah, the, the the original one from SummerSlam two thousand um, was absolutely fantastic, and um, you know really um, set that kind of benchmark for uh, those types of matches. Um, you know, which the Hardys um, and Edge and Christian in particular um, became, again, you know, using that word synonymous with. Um, they uh, had many matches from then onwards um, of that type of nature. But that one, along with obviously the, the famous WrestleMania match, were right up there as a couple of the very, very best of that style. Um, and, and it's still a match that you can go back and watch even today. And it will still look like a superb match. It's not the type of 
match that will look too dated. I mean, you can go back to some hardcore style matches or, you know, very high spot orientated matches from that era. And um, time is unkind to those types of matches. But um, that that is one that does certainly hold up. Yeah, it certainly does, and it's just uh, just a little an, another nod towards SummerSlam, and it's uh, it's certainly played its part in in WWE history. So, before we go though, more, I mean, overall, are you looking forward to the weekend? Do, do you think you know that the two events are going to be enjoyable? Even though I think SummerSlam itself, you know, with the pre-show could could end up being something like six and a half hours, which is a bit uh, it's a bit long when you're watching a few shows over the weekend. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that um, NXT as a card um, is certainly worth watching. Um, not necessarily one I'll perhaps stay up to watch, but um, certainly the next day um, I'll catch the whole show. And um, as we discussed earlier on, there's plenty to um potentially enjoy and if um, several of the matches live up to their potential then there's no reason why it won't be a very good show um, SummerSlam um, as we talked about last week has a number of matches that um, can be very very good um, nothing leaps out to me as a potential match of the year candidate but um, there's still plenty there um, to suggest that you know it'll be a a very good show and this is again like nxt takeover um an event that isn't going to be um polluted by um you know poor storylines or mediocre interview um, interviews that have been scripted by writers now this is where the talent comes to the fore and they are the ones that um the focus is on and they are the ones that um make it um, make it or break it and um, you know there's just too much strong talent there to allow these shows to be mediocre or worse so that's why I'm, I'm very confident that both shows will be um, worthwhile watching and um, obviously SummerSlam at six hours or more um, will feel like a, a very very long day but um, you know that's what the fast forward button was invented for isn't it so <laughs> Fast forward, what, through matches? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one or two. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's um, another blessing of not having to stay up and watching it live. So as long as we can avoid the spoilers, then, um, again, my intention is to uh, catch um, all of that show um, the next day. Yeah, so next week uh, we, we're going to break it all down more. We're going to go back, look over it, and... Which we see how we get on, how things pan out, as to uh, as opposed to how we kind of expected them to go. Well, that's right. I'm, I'm sure, as usual, our predictions will look quite embarrassing in retrospect. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we um, that, that, that's what part of the fun is. You know, if it was all predictable and we knew exactly what was going to happen, then um, you know that that would certainly take some of the shine off of it. But um, yeah, as I say, there, there's likely to be some surprises in there and um, I, uh, look forward to seeing what those are. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like you say, so we, we'll be back next week to uh, to run down all of the, the weekend's action and uh, go back over things. 
Um, if you do want to keep in touch with us and uh, send us any of your predictions or even some of your post-match thoughts on, on what you've been watching, uh, at PW underscore index is where you can catch us on Twitter. So, uh, But until next week, uh, that just about wraps things up for, for us for here. And uh, it's, as always, uh, my thanks to, to more Chatra for being my on-air tag team partner and then help me negotiate the uh, things here. And uh, we want to, as always, say thanks to you, the listener, for hitting that download button and listening to the show and, and participating in things. But until next week, uh, from myself, Andy Wales, here at the Pro Wrestling Index, it's bye-bye now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.